so glad that you guys are here, full house today. Uh, very excited about all of you being here with us. Welcome to you who are guests. We hope that uh, we hope you found a seat, okay, at a parking spot. We also are just so glad that all of our educators who are here with us, can we give them another round of applause? I am also married to an educator. My wife, uh, Hope, is a fourth grade teacher over at Eagle Mountain Elementary, and she's constantly still educating me still today. And so, so thankful for you guys. So we know the investment that you make in this area. We love you, and we're glad you're here. We're in a series called Greater Than Everything. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Colossians. We're working our way through Colossians chapter, well, we've gone through chapter one. Now we're in chapter two. We're going to be in kind of unpacking this part of Scripture. And as you're turning there, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, just, just a question that I got asked one time. I was a brand new minister. Uh, I was 19 years old. I was going to Howard Payne University down in Brownwood, and I started serving as a youth pastor of a church down in that area in a, in a little town called Rochelle, Texas. Anybody know where Rochelle is? All right, tiny little ranching town, little ranching town down there. I maybe had 10 kids in my whole youth ministry, and I was still a kid myself. And in fact, there may have been not more than 10 kids in that entire town. I'm just saying, all right? And I was playing basketball. I was building a relationship with a young man that was there trying to just pour Christ into his life. We were playing basketball. I was hooping him up. And uh, in between games a little bit, he ends, up, uh, he ends up asking me this question. He says, Bart, what do you think God is like? I'm like, whoa, that's a big question in, in, in a game of 21, right? What do you think God is like? And, and don't, don't just tell me that he's loving or anything like that. He really wasn't trying to stump me. He was just, he truly was a thinker. He was a curious young man, wanted to know. I still was pretty new in my own faith. I was certainly green as a minister. Uh, and, and he just, honestly, he kind of caught me off guard. I didn't know how I was gonna put it into words for him to try to describe the God of the universe over a game of one-on-one and 21 there. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a huge task. What is God like? Wow, okay. Uh, what does he look like? That's kind of what he was getting at. It was almost kind of like what the, uh, the writer of Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 18. He says this, to whom can you compare God? To whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? The writer of Isaiah is asking this same big question. Who, who, what is God like? Who can you compare him to? Our words are so inadequate. That is such a massive question. But in Colossians chapter one, Paul is going to make a radical statement. Paul is going to say something that was really so incredible as he speaks of Jesus Christ being the fullness of God, the manifestation of God, the creator. And look at what he says. In fact, if you're new around here, we've been memorizing this scripture together in Colossians chapter 1:15, and I want to invite us all to say it out loud together, okay? It should be up on the screen for you. Let's say it out loud. We're going to say the, the scripture verse and the, or the, the address of the verse, and then we'll say the, uh, the scripture together. You ready? Colossians 1:15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation, Colossians 1.15. What Paul is saying is that basically, Paul is saying to these Colossian believers where this church that had been planted, he's saying if you want to know what Jesus, or want to know what God is like, then I want to point you to the person of Jesus. I want you to understand that, that Jesus himself is the visible image 
of the invisible God. And we learned in week one that that's the fullness of God. There was nothing lacking in Jesus. The full manifestation of God, the creator of the universe, choosing to humble himself and to become one of us, to put skin on and move into our neighborhood. He's saying, if you wanna know what God looks like, then you need to look at the image of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but, but whenever, whenever I think about the image of Jesus, I was really influenced uh, by, uh, by an image that was given to me whenever I was a young man. Um, right after my, my grandma died, uh, she didn't have much, but, but, but she had a picture that I don't know why, but somehow it ended up in my hands. And uh, this was a picture that she, that, that, that it came to me and I actually hung it up in my room. I was a young man at the point. Some of you probably are familiar with the picture. It looks like this, that image of Jesus. How many of you are familiar with that picture there? How many of you had that picture? Anybody have, have it up in your house? Okay. Or maybe you saw it in a church growing up. And uh, so let me just say something about that image. Okay. Um, I, I like the sentimentality of the fact that it came to me from my grandma, but I'm just going to be honest with you. Okay. I, I looked at that picture a lot. It was hung up in my room near my bed. I never really liked the imagery, okay? I'm just gonna, don't, don't stone me or anything for that. As a young man, as a young man and kind of trying to find my way at that time, I would look at that in the evenings and I mean, I, I didn't really like the imagery because I mean, you've got, first of all, you have perfect, perfect hair, right? It looks as if his eyebrows have been recently waxed, okay, does it not? Um, I, what I really didn't like was I didn't like the mouth. There was something about the mouth. I would look at it. Just, I didn't really like that. Okay. And I'm being honest with you. Okay. I didn't really like that. And as a young man, I'm just, I just want to tell you this, that there was nothing about that image that really drew me to Jesus and made me say, I want to follow the helm. I want to be just like him. Now, I, am, uh, I get the privilege of being the chaplain of the Basel football team. Go Pioneers, all right? I'm a pioneer myself. And I work with young men, and I'm trying to pour Christ into the young men. I want them to know what it means to follow Jesus. I've told them you want to be like Jesus, and I'm telling you, if I used that image with them, they would think I was crazy, okay? Right, guys? Some of you are in here. You're going, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be like that. And I remember thinking, whenever we had this image, I remember thinking, all right, who came up with this? <laughs> who decided that this is what Jesus looked like? All right, and, and by the way, this is someone that, that, that came up this in, uh, with this in 1940. But, but really, one of the things that, that we've kind of discovered was this was some imagery like this that began to be developed uh, kind of in the Middle Ages. Uh, there's a kind of a legend, and I, I want to call it a legend because we don't know this is actually factual, but this, some of the legend of this is that there was a pope, and now this was a fact, a pope named Alexander VI that uh, was one of the worst popes there's ever been. He was a terrible pope, okay? And this pope, and I won't get into that, but this pope had some children. First of all, popes are not supposed to have kids, right? If you know anything about that, but he had some kids. And this pope was corrupt. And this pope um, uh, is thought to have gotten into the papacy through some bribery and through some, through some things that happened with his family. And somewhere during this period of time, by the way, I didn't really like that image because it just kind of felt soft to me. I didn't really, I didn't, I just didn't see Jesus really being like this. But uh, this pope, it's, it, it's, it's said that he had a son named Caesar Bourgeois. He was also a terrible human being. But he 
uh, his, the Pope declared that he wanted a, a lot of the, uh, the imagery of Jesus that had some of the darker skinned images of Jesus removed and wanted uh, images that were going to be created more in the likeness of his son, which by the way, his son is said to have had at least 11 children out of uh, wedlock. He was known for murder. His son was uh, was, was also uh, known for an incestuous relationship. I mean, again, not a great guy to be modeling Jesus after, right, okay? And, uh, and so I was thinking about this this week. You guys have heard that preacher's kids, those are called PKs, those, uh, there's supposed to be a reputation about them sometimes not being good kids. Well, this is a true PK. This is a Pope's kid, all right? That is a preacher's kid on steroids, right? Okay? But, but, but anyhow, I mean, I just thought, who, who comes up with this? So here's kind of what, uh, this was some of the imagery that was developed. You can see some of the likenesses there or whatever. And here's the deal. I don't know how accurate that is, but what I do know is that at some point, somebody decided that this was an image that they wanted to kind of create and make Jesus this is what they thought that he looked like for whatever reason. Now, we've kind of gone in our generation, uh, and this is something that's happened from maybe making Jesus, in my opinion, look maybe a little more wimpy. So some, some artists decided to make it a little more like this today, right? This is what they've done with Jesus. Superhero Jesus in our superhero nation that we live in, right? You look, look at the, the belt buckle. There's a seven. He's got WWJD on his belt, okay, or whatever. Now, here's what I, I don't know which one's worse, that or the last one, okay? But we get on some dangerous ground, I think, when we, the creation, begin to try to shape the creator in our image. And some of what we think that Jesus would look like Somewhere along the way, we've kind of said, this is what Jesus looks like. But what Paul is saying in the book of Colossians is that when he says Jesus being the visible image of the invisible God, what Paul is not talking about here, he's not talking about the skin color, although Jesus was a real person. He's not talking about his physical build or the eye color or how tall he was or anything like this. In fact, Isaiah chapter 53 says about the physical features of Jesus, it says that there was nothing to attract us to him in his physical features. Look at what it says. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Isn't that interesting? Nothing to attract us to him, right? And, 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 and which again, when you think of the fact and the humility of our awesome God choosing to, choosing to indwell physical, in the physical appearance in that manner, I mean, that's an incredible thought, right? Paul is seeking to remind the Colossians of what Jesus is like. What he is like, because to know what Jesus is like is to know what God is like, because Jesus was the fullness and the manifestation of God in a humble human body, and this is what is called the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The incarnation was under attack in Colossae by a group of teachers who had come in and started challenging whether or not God would, would become human flesh. And then there was also a group of people who were coming in and saying that, that if that was the case, they were saying that then Jesus could never really be God. And so they were questioning the deity of Jesus. My point in this series is that the person of Jesus was under attack in this church that had been planted. And Paul is confronting these issues because you got to understand the person of Jesus is pivotal to our faith. 
And for us to, for, and so the enemy was seeking to undermine the understanding of who Jesus Christ was. Paul's hope was that if you were asked, what is God like? Then you would point people to Jesus. That you would understand that Jesus was God. That you would point to his character. You would point to his actions. Now let's look in Colossians chapter 2. And let's remember that Paul is encouraging these young believers to stay strong. They have placed their faith in Christ. They're a new church that is growing. And now these, these heresies are starting to emerge on the personhood of Jesus and, and his deity and his incar- the incarnation of Christ. And, and Paul is saying, I want you to stay strong. You are going to be greatly tempted to go back to the Via Romana. We learned about that last week, which is the way of Rome, the way of the Roman. You're going to be tempted to blend the way of the Roman in with your faith. You're going to be tempted as well to, to and he's saying, to, to incorporate a lot of rituals and a lot of things that you think that you need to add to it. But Paul is going to say, don't embrace the Via Romana. I want you to embrace Via Crucis, which is the way of the cross, the way of the cross. And he's trying to keep these new believers from wavering. He's trying to keep them from, from being blown about by these teachings that were starting to infiltrate the church and were causing problems. And what Paul is going to challenge these believers, and he challenges us today to this, Paul is going to challenge them to grow up in their faith. He's going to challenge them to be what we call a disciple of Jesus. Guys, it's exciting. This is a full room here today. We've gone to four services. I think I I heard Randy, I was back in the back and I heard Randy say, we have over a hundred people that are signed up for newcomers today. That's, that's got to be a new record, I'm pretty sure. But I want to say this as, as just clearly as we possibly can, as, you, as I can communicate it and you hear it. We are not trying to build a big church. We are not called by Jesus to make church members. We are called by Jesus to make disciples, amen? Disciples who are growing up in their faith. You can build a big crowd. You can build a big crowd. What we want to see is we want to see you go deep in your faith. I want to see you grounded in your faith. So whenever new teachings come in and challenge you or you're in a place that is hostile to your faith, you're in a a work environment that's hostile to to your faith in Christ, or when you're in the school, young folks, you're in the schools and you're, you're, you're being challenged in your faith, you have some strength in your faith that's going deep, deeper than, than so many others, all right? So Paul's saying, I want you to be a disciple. I want you to grow up. This is something that he is impressing upon them. So look with me in verse six of chapter two. He says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you got to stop there first for every person here. And you need to ask yourself the question, has that happened in my life first? Have I accepted Jesus as my Lord? And if you haven't, you don't have to wait to the end of the service to accept him as your savior. You can accept him right now in faith and call on him to be your savior right there where you're seated. As you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to, everyone help me out. What does he say? Continue to, that's a big word. He's talking about discipleship now. He's talking about you continue to follow him. And now he's going to give some action points. Let your roots, let these roots that were already established. So when you were born again, roots were were, were beginning to emerge in your life there. 
But some of us, we have shallow roots that never grow deep. And so whenever the wind comes and it blows against us or new doctrine happens or difficult times happen, we don't have roots that are growing down deep. And he says, let your roots grow down into Jesus. Let your lives be built on Jesus. Not on all the other things that that we are so accustomed to building our lives upon. Now I want you to see what he says the result is gonna happen. Then he says, your faith, your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught. You see, because there was some, there were some things that were not true that were being impressed upon them. And they were gonna have to learn how to discern what was true and what was untrue. Let your faith grow strong. Your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught And here, let's say this out loud, all right? And let's say this like we mean it. And you will overflow with what? Thankfulness. Overflow. That word is abounding in thankfulness. Remember, Paul has never met them personally. He never got to go to Colossae to plant this church. Paul invested in a young man named Epaphras, and he taught him the gospel of Jesus, and he taught Epaphras And Epaphras was saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And Epaphras went and he planted a church in this area of Laodicea, Hierapolis, and in Colossae. And now what Paul is saying is, you have been taught the gospel. You know about the grace of Jesus Christ. I know because I taught Epaphras. And now Epaphras is concerned because now some of you are starting to waver in your faith. Paul is saying, you started out with a great simple faith in Jesus Christ as the son of God. And now there are others who are coming in and they're trying to add to that gospel. They're saying that Jesus was not enough or they're saying that Jesus was okay, but he wasn't completely the son of God. And what he's saying is he's gonna say very clearly, he's gonna use these words, Christ Jesus, your Lord. Every word there, every word in the, in the word of God is important. This where he uses the word Christ there. Paul is saying this to speak to those that would challenge the deity of God, of Jesus. When he uses Jesus, he's speaking to those who would challenge the humanity of Jesus. And when he uses Lord, he's speaking of the sovereignty and the supremacy of him over our lives. We've been asking in this series, is Jesus greater in your life by your choice? He is greater, but have you, have you, received him as greater than everything. Does he, is he greater than everything in your life? Paul is saying, continue in this grace. It was simple faith in Christ that saved you is what Paul is saying. You keep walking in that. You keep staying grounded in that. He says, be stable in that. Stand firm in that. I just want to tell you, and you know this, you're going to be challenged in your faith. Some of you have been challenged this week by, by the, the winds of difficulty. You're gonna be challenged in your faith. Some of you have been challenged maybe this week or you will be challenged by the wind of heresy and false teaching. And he is saying have roots that go deep in Christ. He says roots here. What do you feed roots? How is that going to make, how are your roots that have been established by Christ, how are they going to grow? What do you think? It's gonna come through the word of God. The word of God. Yesterday I was out working in the yard a little bit and I, uh, I love to work in the yard and I, was, I, I noticed we had some flowers that weren't really flowering well. I took this product, many of you know what it is. It's called miracle Grow, right? Do you realize, and you spray the miracle Grow on there and, and you know what's happening? It's producing deeper roots. This is the miracle Grow of your life. 
where you've got the purpose to be in it every single day. We do not have any excuses in, in America today to not dig into God's word. We have it on our phones. We, have, we can carry this with us anywhere that we go. We, I mean, every moment you get, I wanna urge you, if your roots are gonna grow deep, you've gotta choose to saturate your mind with the word of God. Our kids need to, need to be saturated in the word of God because they're gonna be challenged on a regular basis in their faith. I'm a sports guy. Many of you know that I love sports and I love, my kids were, are, were very active in that. And I love, I love that they, they learn how to play volleyball and I love that they learn how to, how to uh, play baseball and football and all those things. And, 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 some of it, and, and, and Trinity also is very much into music and I love all that, that's all good stuff. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying anything negative about, about our kids being involved in sports, but here's what I wanna challenge us. We are a young church with lots of young people in our church. We have to be sure that our kids are being immersed in the word of God because here's the reality. It's not gonna be being taught properly how to field a ground ball that's gonna pull them through that difficult time. It's not gonna be learning how to properly play a volleyball that's going to, it's gonna help them during that time when their faith is actually being challenged when they go off to college. There's nothing wrong with sports. There's, I mean, you guys know I love that. But what I'm saying is we have to be just as excited as parents and just as diligent and just as intentional in pouring the fundamentals of our faith into our kids, church. Amen, are you with me on that? Being sure being sure that they know how to read the word of God and that they are being taught the word of God. And I want to say this too, being sure that they know what it means to come and worship our God. I love our small groups and we want to keep doing small groups for kids, but I want to just encourage our kids need to learn how to worship in here as well. And so I wanna encourage you moms and dads, lead, let's lead our kids in this. We want their roots to grow down deep. Let your lives, he says, be built on Christ. So he goes from two metaphors. One is an agricultural metaphor. Now he's going to a construction metaphor. Let your life be built on Christ. So often we build our lives on things that are gonna be swept away. And he's saying, no, build your life on the truth of the gospel of Jesus, and that is you have been saved by grace through faith. And in the same manner in which you received that, he says, you keep living in that. You keep living in that forgiveness of God. You keep living in that grace of God, knowing what he's done. Paul says, let your life be built on this. And then he says, there's a result that's gonna happen. What does he say? When you build your life on Jesus, when you are, your roots are growing deep, he says there's a result that's going to occur. And do you know what it is? It's a mark of maturity that we spoke about in the first week of this series. One of the marks of maturity, and you can test yourself in this today, is that you're gonna be a thankful person. You're gonna have gratitude in your heart that's not gonna be dictated by the difficulties. Why is that? Why will you still have thankfulness? Why you will still have gratitude in your heart? Even if you're going through difficult times, it's because you realize what Christ, by what he has done on the cross, what he has rescued you out of, what he has delivered you from, the thing that Christ has done in your life. So Paul goes on and he says, don't let anybody capture you. 
This word capture, they were very familiar with this. He's, he's incorporating that Via Romana way of thinking. He's saying, I know you think this way. You, you're, you, many of you have been influenced by the Roman culture. This word capture was a word that the Romans, they would speak of when they would go in and conquer another country. They would take plunder from that country. They would, they would ca- take captives and they would bring them back to Rome and they would parade them through the streets. And what Paul is saying is, Be careful, there are those who are seeking to influence you and are seeking to take you captive. They're seeking to parade you through the street as one who is is inferior in the sense of you only having Christ. And and what he's saying is, and what we would call those is those who backload the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And there were some who were coming and saying, no, you need to add a little something else to that because this is what was being challenged. Jesus wasn't enough. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, don't let anyone take you captive of that. Don't let anybody come and, and, and say that Jesus is not enough and take you captive. It's not Jesus plus something else equals salvation. Jesus is sufficient is what Paul is saying. The supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. There were some who were saying, no, you need to do this in order to truly be saved. No, you need to keep the law now, the Mosaic law. No, you need to know this secret philosophy and only a few know this secret. These were the Gnostics who were coming in and saying that Jesus wasn't enough. Some of the Jews were coming in and saying Jesus wasn't enough. And if you'll do these things, then God will then actually accept you. Therefore, it's contingent upon what you do instead of what Christ has done. And Paul is saying, don't let anybody take you captive by these thoughts. You have been forgiven by God. You have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. Don't be captured by, look at what he says, empty, that's a key word, empty philosophies, high sounding nonsense. I love how Paul just is straight to the point. Don't you love it? That come from human thinking. That that word thinking there, it means tradition. From traditions that are implemented by men that we come up with these traditions. He's saying, don't let anybody take you captive by that. Your heart has already been captivated by the love and grace of Christ or from the spiritual powers of this world rather than Christ. Now, let me say, Paul is not saying don't be a thinker. Paul is not saying don't be well-read and understand philosophy. He's not saying that you can't think and that you can't uh, entertain the thoughts, but what Paul is saying, in fact, in fact, I would encourage you to know some of these things so that through your ability to not apologize in the sense that you're saying you're sorry for it, but through apologetics, you can adequately speak intelligently about your faith. Paul's not saying that you can't do that. What he's saying is don't be captivated by this. Don't let them take you captive. This is so important for us. It's so important for us to know God's word. It's so important for you not just to come and just to be a spectator here. It's so important for you to not just be a believer only on Sunday, but for you every day to saturate your mind with the word of God. That's how your roots are gonna grow. To be sure that you're growing in Christ. It's so important that that as your pastor that I'm rightly dividing the word of truth. It's so important that I am teaching you the word of God and not trying to be an entertainer for you. Because the entertainment is not going to sustain you in the difficult times in your life. The entertainment is not going to sustain you whenever people are challenging your faith. But when I'm rightly dividing the word of truth through, through teaching you the word and through us worshiping the Lord together, your roots are growing deeper. 
Your roots are growing in Christ. You're gonna have a thankful heart. He says this, he goes on and he says, for in Christ, he's gonna fire a shot over the bow of those that were challenging the deity of Jesus. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God. All the fullness of God in human body. Paul is saying, if you wanna know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you wanna understand who, G who God is, then look at Jesus and he's, he's, it's not some portrait that is going to, to, to lead you to be closer to Christ. What he's saying is if you wanna know what God is like, look at Jesus because Jesus is God and it's not some painting that man came up with, but look at the full expression of how Jesus loved. Look at how Jesus dealt with people. The gospels are so important for us to dig into. Look at how Jesus, what made him happy? What made him angry? How did he treat people? If you wanna know how God is, look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus did while he lived in this body and he made himself visible to us for 33 years. Now watch, this has powerful implications for us. When we understand what Paul is getting at next, when you understand that the fullness of God dwelt in the life of Jesus, we see this, the implication is this. Look at what he says in verse 10. So you also are, what's the word, church? Complete. Let's say that word together. You are also what? Complete. You're complete. That word literally means whole. It means nothing is lacking in you when you have placed your faith in Christ. It doesn't, it means that nothing has to be added to your faith now. All right. It doesn't mean you shouldn't grow, but what he's saying is you have been made spiritually whole before you knew Christ. You were not whole. He's not saying that another person, and we, we see it all the time today in, in our movies, right? We say, another person, you complete me. No, Jesus is the only one that completes you. He's the only one that you are now complete in Jesus Christ. You are whole through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and over every authority. What Paul is saying is Jesus is not only supreme, Jesus is sufficient. Nothing needs to be added. You are lacking in nothing or you are lacking nothing. And because of the fullness, this is powerful, because the fullness of God indwelled Christ and Christ lives in us, our lives should be reflecting to the world what God is like. I wanna say that again. In fact, let's put it in these terms right here. Write this down if you're taking notes. Here's what it says. As a believer, you are the best portrait of Christ. Are you following me? You and I, as we go out into our community this week, we are the portrait of Jesus to other people, which means you are the portrait of what God is like. Now, I know for some of you that terrifies you, right? But do you understand that people are looking, and when you, when you claim Christ, people are watching. They're wanting to know what God is like. And as we live in Christ, as Christ dwells in us, we are in union with him. He indwells us. He does not indwell this building. You understand? He lives in you. And where you are at in your place of employment, where you are at, students, when you are at school, you are the representation of God. You're the representation of Jesus. I sent a text to all the young men that I'm kind of discipling uh, over at Boswell. And I said this week as they started school, don't forget this week that you are the representation of Jesus Christ. That you are representing Christ to a bunch of students that they need to see what God is really like. And what God wants to show them what he's like is through you. 
I didn't put all that in the text, okay? But it's close, all right? That would be a long text. But just as the fullness of Christ is dwelling, or fullness of God is dwelling in Christ, that's just an incredible thought when you think of this. Now, in the, in the same connection that, that Jesus had with the Father, you have with the Father. That's why he said, you, you are the branches. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are connected with me. You have all the things that Christ had access to. Paul's rocking their world with these words. He's saying, don't let anybody rob you of this truth. Don't let anybody rob you of the supremacy and of the sufficiency of Jesus in you. Now, just moving very quickly through this. Now, there is something that we call the gospel that has made this possible. And, it, and it's because of what Christ did on the cross and what we say is the work of the cross. Paul is gonna begin to, to explain why this is possible in their life for them to be the representation of God. He says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful, your sinful nature. So if you're taking some notes, write this down. What does that mean for you as a believer? Because of the work of Christ, what Paul is saying is, this gives you power over the sin nature that you have. What this means is that you have been set free from the bondage of the sin nature that you were born with that we're all born with a sin nature and it's not some outward physical ritual that is going to make you right with God. That when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that God does through Jesus a spiritual surgery on your heart and it cuts away your flesh. Now this doesn't mean that our flesh is completely gone, it just means that it has no more power over you. It's not until we get our glorified bodies that this old body will be dead and gone, right? But what he's saying is the old self has been cut away. It's been cut away and then he goes on and he says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And when he says baptized, he's not talking about another ritual which by the way, our baptism is the representation of, of this that he's talking about. What he's saying is when you believed in Jesus, you were immersed in Jesus Christ. You were dead in Christ and now you are alive because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're a new believer. You have a new identity. You have a new power that's been made available to you. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead Believer, this ought to fire you up. It lives in you, amen? Can we clap to God for that awesome truth? It lives in you. For so many of us, we choose to live, even though the bonds have been broken, we choose to live as if we are still slaves to sin and fear. And what Paul is saying is this has been cut away from your life. You don't have to live in that old self and that old shame in those past things. You were raised into Christ as a new creation. So the work of the cross, it cuts away the sin nature, right? It doesn't have power over you anymore. We can continue to live as if it does, but it doesn't have power over you. Here's the other part of this, another takeaway for you. Christ's work on the cross gives us complete forgiveness of all our sins. And when I say complete, I mean complete. There's not anything that's been held back here. Complete forgiveness. He goes on in verse 13. You were dead because of your sins. All of us are, when we are, when we are physically born into this world, our spirit is born dead. And he goes on and he says, and that's because of our sin and because of our, the sin nature we are born with. Because of your sinful nature, 
that was not yet cut away. Now look at this. This is, this is the gospel. Then God made you, what's the word, church? Alive. He made you alive with Christ. That is, you were now born again. You have been born again when you placed your faith in Jesus. Now, let's say the last part together. Everybody say it with me, okay? Help me out. For he did what? For he forgave all of our sins. I did some studying this week. I looked that word all up in the, in the original language. In the Greek, you know what that word all in the original language means? All. It means all. There's nothing that, that doesn't count in this. You thought I was about to drop some real profound bomb on you, didn't you? But the reality is it is a profound bomb. When you think about, and I think about myself and the sins of my past, and I think about some of the things that I still struggle with today, and I know that as a human being, because I still live in this flesh, that there will be some sin that I still battle with going forward. But here's what it says. That's all been forgiven by Jesus. When I play, I don't, I don't deserve it. Are you with me? We don't deserve this. This is grace. It's the beauty of grace. Do you see why thankfulness should begin to abound in our lives? When we understand what he's rescued us out of, it gives complete forgiveness for all of our sins. He said all of our sins. And this is what Christ did on the cross. Man, this is so good right here. This is rich. He canceled, verse 14, the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. I used to not really understand what that meant. And then I really started kind of digging in on this. What does that mean? What is this record of charges that's held against us? Basically, it's a bill of debt that we all owe because of our sin and our sin nature. And it's a debt that we can never repay. It's one that, that is, it, we can't do it. That's why Christ had to come and pay the debt for us. And when he says it's been canceled, this was actually, it was one of these. It basically was this right here. An IOU. It's an IOU. And I was in spiritual debt that could never be paid. I couldn't, I, some of us will try to do everything we can to work our way out of that debt. I'll just become more religious. I'll just do what pastor said and I'll read my Bible. That's good. And, and, I, and I don't want you to become religious, but I do love when you come to service and I love when you come. But, but here's the deal. What Jesus did was Jesus took this, and this was a, this canceled record. This record was a bill of debt that could never be paid. And on it, they would, they would put a wax seal that validated that it was a legitimate debt to be owed. And where it says he canceled that debt, what it means literally is God took his thumb and he wiped that seal clean. And he took this and he hammered this to the cross, when Jesus was on the cross, your IOU was put on the cross. When Jesus said to Telestai, it is finished, it literally meant paid in full. Your debt has been paid. Praise God. Amen, right? That's what he did. It's incredible. How many of you have a mortgage? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Okay. Man, we some indebted people, aren't we? All right. How many of you have a big mortgage, all right? You have a big mortgage? Maybe you don't have a mortgage. Does anybody have any other debt, all right? Raise your hands. What if I told you that all of those, we got a phone call today, this morning, just this morning, from somebody that said all of the people in the second service today, that's you guys, 
all of them who have mortgages and who have debt, I am going to pay off completely all of their debt. They are free and clear. You let them know. What do you think would happen in this place? Man, I'm telling you right now, you people be going charismatic on me in a second. I guarantee you that. Y'all be jumping over chairs. You'd be dancing in the aisles. You'd be going nuts. You'd be free. You'd be like, well, I'm free, man. I'm free. Isn't that incredible? Now, that is not the case, all right? So don't hold me to it. But wouldn't it be awesome? But what if I did tell you this, that the greatest debt that you and I owed one that we can never pay, one that goes far beyond a mortgage, one that goes far beyond any other credit card debt, any other thing, that Jesus Christ paid that in full for you. You are free and clear. Bill collector Satan cannot come calling you anymore. You're free and clear. You see where the gratitude begins to emerge in our hearts. Paul is saying when you get the gospel thankfulness begins to overflow. It's not just gonna be a little bit of thankfulness. It's overflowing thankfulness, where you're just like, I can't believe he did this for me. If, if, if that other thing happened, you would go out of here, wouldn't you? You would be telling everybody that you could about how your debt was forgiven. You'd be, man, and I'm gonna tell you, next week, you think it's full today, next week would be a zoo, wouldn't it? <laughs> but why should we not go out of this place and live our lives in such a way that we have been forgiven of the greatest debt that we ever could have over our lives. Telling people of the debt that I have been forgiven, of the grace of God, there are gonna be people that cross your path this week that they're gonna believe that God could never love someone like them. And they need to see the portrait of Jesus in your life. And the forgiveness of God that is abounding in your life and the grace of God that's flowing out and splashing on those around you. What would happen in our community if we as believers lived in that manner? Pointing people to Jesus Christ. Now here's the last thing, okay? The last thing in today's talk is what Paul points out is this, is that the work of Christ gives us, it gives us victory over all evil forces in our life. Let me, let me share this last verse. All evil forces. In this way, he disarmed, he says. Disarmed. That word in, in the original language means, I know you're thinking I'm gonna say disarmed, all right? But here's what it means. Stripped away. He stripped their power. The spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Now what that means, all right, this is really good. Okay, I love ending with this right here because you go out, you realize you're a victor in Christ. You are victorious because of what Christ did. The Romans would take, they would go in and they would, they would plunder a place. They would defeat them. They would take prisoners back. They would parade them on the streets of Rome, these captives, and, and, and they would shame them publicly. They made a spectacle of them. That's what it's called. And they would spit upon them uh, in, in Rome and, and they would parade them through the streets. They would spit, they would jeer at them, a public spectacle. You think of what happened to our Jesus when he went 
down the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. What did they do? They made a public spectacle of him when they hung him on a criminal's cross. And what Paul is saying is Jesus Christ, in the greatest irony that there has ever been, took that public spectacle. He flipped it around on them and he disarmed Satan. And Satan has no more power over you. Satan and his minions have no more authority in your life. When you're in Jesus Christ, a new creation, he dwells within you and now... They have no power anymore in your life. You have been delivered from the power of the sin nature. You've been forgiven of all of your sins. And what he's saying is this, is that you are victorious in Jesus Christ. Now go live like it. Amen. Man, I just want to clap one more time for Jesus. Amen. That's so awesome. And I want to lead us in prayer. And I just want us with a heart of gratitude as our band's going to come back up. We're going to sing one last song And I want you to think of that debt that has been relieved that you could never pay. And I want you to, I want you to worship with all of your heart. Some of you, you need to think right now, am I, am I portraying, am I that portrait of Jesus in my place of employment? Am I that portrait of Jesus Christ, my God, the God of the universe in the school where I attend? You see, some of us, we are going back living like we are slaves and we are under the authority of the enemy and that we, that we have not been forgiven. And that bill collector, Satan, he keeps calling. And listen, what you need to do when he's calling you, if you've already been saved, you need to tell him he canceled the debt and it's been nailed on the cross and you need to hang the phone up on that guy. You need to say, I am forgiven. My shame has been removed, not because I deserved it, but because of what Jesus has done for me. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, what I've tried to tell you about today is what is called the gospel. It is the greatest news, the greatest news any person could ever receive. And it's a gift that God offers you right there where you're seated, you can say, Jesus, I receive this gift. I realize I don't deserve it, but I receive it in my life. I want my sins wiped away. I place my faith in you, Jesus, as my Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand, let's worship like we mean it.